If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you, John. That's John. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love, and normally when we hear it, it's at a wedding, but it's really the root of empathy. Empathy is feeling with someone as opposed to feeling sorry for someone, and you can't do that without love. This is from a tweet from Beth Moore, and I don't know how to cite a tweet, so that's what it says. Uh, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13 is a defiant manifesto against the quick bent of the human heart to turn to brick. A life bereft of love is a life bereft, but nothing is riskier. Nothing's harder to sustain. Love is such that the heart, at its fullest capacity and most rapturous state, bears this odd ache, like the mortal heart is ill-fit for such fervor. It's too tight a place for something so large." Whenever I think of that, how the human heart is really too small for the love that we need to love other people and even to receive the amount of love God has for us, I think of the Grinch. Um, his, his small heart was two sizes too small, but it grew three sizes that day. Um, that's how much love God has for us and how much he's pouring into us. And the only way we can have empathy for others is because it pours out of us. So I really appreciated that 1 Corinthians 13 passage about love, but something else about it spoke to me too. We want to be known, and that's really what empathy is all about. Um, when I thought about developing empathy, I really thought about how to be a good listener and how to be a good friend, because we don't think our way into a different way of acting. We act our way into a different way of thinking. So when I'm talking about developing empathy today, we can't really develop that. Like, that's the Holy Spirit's job. My title at my church is Director of Faith Development. 
guess what I can't do? I can't develop your faith. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Um, I like my title, but only God can develop empathy in your heart, and only through Jesus' power can we care about other people at all. So we can't really truly develop empathy, but we can practice being good listeners and practice being good friends And if we do that and we're there for others, we will develop empathy. We'll act ourselves into a new way of thinking as opposed to thinking ourselves into a new way of acting. So I really liked 1 Corinthians 12. Now, on this side of heaven, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see God face to face. Now I only know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Even on this side of heaven, we are fully known by someone who cares about everything we're going through. So I wanted to talk about what empathy is and is not, because I think that's really a helpful way to figure it out. So of course I looked up Webster's. Empathy is the understanding and vicarious experience of the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another without actually having the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another. So vicarious experience is something you don't experience. When someone else goes on a vacation and they go somewhere awesome, I'm not actually experiencing it, but I might be uh, stalking them on social media so I can see all their awesome pictures and experience it vicariously through them. So empathy is vicariously experiencing what other people experience. So here's what it's not. It's not sympathy because that's feeling sorry for someone, and that's really different than feeling what they're feeling. Sympathy is not bad, it's just not as helpful for other people as empathy. It's not judging other people, obviously. You can't be there for someone if, in the back of your head, when you're listening to them, you're also thinking like, well, you brought it on yourself. (laughs) It's not judgment. It's not fixing people's problems. So when we're listening to our friends and helping them out, It's not giving advice, and it's not trying to jump in. It's not trying to make them feel better. I think that's the most confusing thing, but it's really not. It's being there for someone. It's not finding the silver lining, which is really easy for me to do, you know, like, well, what's the good that can come out of this bad thing you're going through? But it's not pointing out that silver lining. And because all of those things are belittling, they belittle what someone's going through, and that makes people feel smaller or like you see them as small. So it's not trying to tell your similar story or waiting for your turn to talk. Like if I, you know, like we all do that in our head, right? Like whenever someone's talking to us, we're thinking, how can I relate? Um, Knowing people and being known by them is how we get close to people, self-disclosure. So you like wait for your turn to talk to tell your story that's similar. So you can say, I understand what you're going through. I understand how you feel. But it's not exactly the same thing. So empathy is not waiting for your turn to tell your story. Mostly, it's not saying anything that starts with at least. (laughs) Like, well, you know, I had a miscarriage at six weeks. Well, at least you still have Jacob. Like, people actually said that to me, and it really hurt. Um, Or at least you know you can get pregnant. Man, that hurts. Anything that starts with at least is not (laughs) empathy. Because they're trying to find the silver lining. They're trying to fix it and make it better and help them focus on the positive. That's not empathy. It's being there. Any kind of response in general isn't really empathy. Empathy is being there. My new friend Peter told me, I can't think of a time that I shared and somebody was awful or that I shared and somebody was great. But what really helps me the most when I share with someone is a hug 
because they're just being there for you. Um, and I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. It's like what it boils down to. Uh, I'm going to talk about Job. I mean, you guys remember the story of Job, right? Okay. Yes. He goes through a lot. It's awful. Um, everything he goes through is just horrible and unfathomable and unthinkable. And he has three friends, and they come hang out with him. And they're really helpful at first, and then they open their big fat mouths and start talking, and they're horrible. So we're going to read what they did that was great. So if you want to get your gathering Bible out, we're actually going to look in that a lot. So if you'll turn to Job with me, it's about this far deep into the gathering Bible uh, before Psalms. We're going to be in Job we're going to start in Job 2. So in Job 1 and Job 2, 1 through 10, we hear about everything Job had and everything Job loses. He was a great guy. Um, he was really faithful to God. He trusted in the God who was faithful to him. And then this is really like a pretty confusing story because Satan's like, hey, God, can I mess with Job? And God says yes, which is an entirely different session and not this one. Uh, but God does allow Satan to attack Job, and he takes away everything that matters to him one thing at a time. Um, so Job ver chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard all of this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. So for seven days, his friends were really helpful. They were just there with him. He was suffering, and their presence gave him comfort. And they were awesome. They were just there for him. But then they're trying to figure out, why would God let this happen? And much like I do, they verbally processed. They were thinking out loud. And they were like, well, maybe this is what you did wrong. And they were awful. If you have been through this horrible thing and lost all of these things that matter to you so much, your children have died, like, you don't want people saying, like, oh, maybe it's because of your sin. That's not helpful. Like, they should have just kept their mouths shut. <laughs> Job's friends were horrible. So we can learn from Job and be there for our friends without trying to give them advice or tell them why the bad thing happened, like we know, you know. So we're going to practice being a good listener because we're going to act our way into thinking empathetically. So here are some active listening skills. We've got eye contact. Avoiding distractions, right? Like my watch always tells me when my phone goes off and I can see that the people I'm with see me look at my watch. It happens every day. And then I know like, oh, they know I was not fully present for them. They know that I'm worried about whatever's on my watch and maybe think that's more important than them. Body gestures. So um, let's see. Tiffany, will you help me? Okay. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to show you some bad listening. Uh, giving feedback, you know, like, uh-huh, you know, things that help people keep talking, um, showing that you're listening with your body. So, Tiffany, I'm going to show you my bad listening skills while you tell me anything you want to about your morning this morning. Uh, this morning, I had a speaker given to me last minute. I didn't 
I didn't really know <laughs> what his name was or um, I could have been late, but for whatever reason, I decided to get up early today and I was on time. Um, they didn't really tell me anything about him, so I just kind of met him on a whim. Yeah, it was hard. That actually does sound really hard. Um, so I wasn't making eye contact. I was listening, but I was trying to multitask. I wasn't like really looking at her the whole time. I'm giving her body language that tells her something else matters to me also. So now tell me about where you're from, and it's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to try to do a better job. All right, well, I am from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I go there for college, but I'm originally from Marion, Indiana. Um, so I have a couple friends there. There's some people in the audience from Marion, Indiana. <laughs> there they are! <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So what I was tempted to do was ask a question about Fort Wayne and then ask where Marion is. Uh, and if we had a long time to talk, I would have done those things because those questions would have shown that I do listen and I do care. And also I'm legitimately curious. I don't know where Marion is. But I resisted my urge, which those of you who know me in the room know is hard for me to do, to say like, oh really, Fort Wayne, you know? Um, tell me about the sim. And then where is Marion? Like I wanted to let her talk. So I made eye contact. I did not have a closed body posture. I was facing her and looking at her and letting her say what she was going to say. So we really, are gonna, we really are going to practice this because if you're a good listener, you're a good friend. And we, we saw, you saw my bad listening skills and some better listening skills. Um, before we practice, I want to show you the power of eye contact. So this has to be done in partners. You can't do this with three people. Um, I'm going to time you, and you're going to just make eye contact for a full minute. You're not going to say anything. You're just going to look in someone's eyes for a full minute. OK, thank you. That was awesome and hilarious because all of the guys were like giggling six seconds in. Um, that was amazing. I made eye contact with my friend Caitlin and I know her and I know that even if I do a horrible job today, she still loves me. And so making eye contact made me feel really peaceful. Um, it was awesome. When I was in high school, I was in a group called PAL, Peer Assistance Leadership, and we did that exercise. And that guy that I met that day, like, I've never seen him again. I think his name is Nick, but I can still picture his eyes. It's so rare that you make eye contact with someone for a full minute. It's really powerful, and it really bonds you. So I wanted to practice that. But now I want you to, with your same partner, unless you're Caitlin, because I'm way over here, I want you to practice your good listening skills. So really focus on eye contact and having an open body posture, like don't cross your legs, and kind of lean in. I saw lots of good conversation. It seemed like that was a lot easier than telling people a story about someone who was a bad listener. And I also observed that it's really hard to have an open body posture when you're talking to someone in a different row. Because when you're turned around and there's a chair between you, you can't physically show them you're listening. So that's what I learned watching you guys. But I do appreciate that you uh, participated in my request. Um, so when you are listening to someone and have the opportunity to show them empathy and be a good listener, uh, I got this advice from my friend Leah. And she said that one of the best things she's learned in the last year is ask two more. 
ask two more questions. She said whenever she thinks she understands what somebody means or is tempted to tell her similar story, instead of making it about you um, or assuming you understand, ask two more questions. What was that like? Tell me more about that. That's really an imperative statement, but it has the same um, you know, effect as a question. Um, tell me more about that is always a good one, but ask two more questions so that you stay focused on that person. We are going to get in the Bible a little bit now, so keep your Bible out, and if you have a pencil, you might want to underline verses. We're going to read a little bit together. Um, we're going to start in Matthew 7, verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You want people to be a good friend? Be a good friend. You want to have friends? Be a good friend. You want to be fully known? Try to fully know people. Whatever you would have them do unto you, do unto them. We'll flip forward just a little bit to Matthew 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If we love God first and love others second, we're going to be empathetic good friends. Because you still love yourself, but you're putting yourself third. You're putting God first and the other second. You're going to be a good friend. Let's see. Next is Romans, Romans 12, verses 9 through 16, and we're going to really think about verse 16. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, hard times. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's really being there for someone. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 16, I think, is really helpful when we're talking about empathy because it's really putting the other person first. Um, so we already read 1 Corinthians 13, which is pretty key when we talk about empathy. So now we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted by it, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. That passage is so helpful for me, um, and it doesn't really help explain the origin of evil, which we looked at when we started with Job, but um, it does kind of make sense. Like, when you go through something, you really can be there for somebody else who goes through it better when they've experienced it. 
I'm going to share a personal story here and put myself out there. My brother, when he was in high school, got his girlfriend pregnant, and they had an abortion. It was really hard for me because I love Jesus, and I love this God who faithfully loves me, and it was not my best choice for them. That was not my choice that they made. But I sat with my brother, and I held his hand when he told my parents that Kim was pregnant. And then I was in youth ministry for 20 years, and you may not be surprised to know that in 20 years of working with teenagers, I did work with some teenagers who went through the same thing. Um, I didn't tell any of them the story I just told you, not a single one. But I didn't experience it personally, but I vicariously experienced it through my brother, And I really was able to understand a little bit better what uh, my teenagers were going through. And I was able to be there for them without passing judgment. I mean, it would have been really easy as a DCE to really pass judgment on their decisions and choices and behaviors. Um, But because I had sat with my brother and held his hand under our kitchen table when he told my parents that Kim was pregnant, and listen to him talk about it as Kim really made this decision without him about what to do, I really was able to be a better listener to the various teenagers that I've known who've experienced something similar. Um, I wish they had all made a different choice than my brother. Some did, some didn't. Uh, But going through that helped me be there for other people better. And God helped me through that It was tough for me, even though it wasn't my problem, (laughs) but I also watched God be there for my brother, and having experienced that comfort from God helped me in the future in ministry. So I do think that when God comforts us when we've been through something, it helps us be more empathetic in the future. Uh, I I can't be truly empathetic when somebody has that, because I didn't have that same experience, Um, but hopefully it's more than just sympathy. Like, If you told me after this is over, that's where you're at, I'm not going to feel sorry for you like, well, I made good choices, so so sorry that you made a bad one. (laughs) I don't just feel sorry for you. I kind of know what it feels like a little bit, even though I didn't actually experience it only vicariously. Uh, Our next passage is, how how is that for a transition? Um, 1 Peter 3.8. 1 Peter 3.8 says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, it's not bad, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A tender heart and a humble mind are essential to empathy. Um, That heart of brick that our sinful nature is always leaning towards and a not humble mind that thinks highly of ourselves are not helpful for empathy. And I'm going to close right now on Bible passages on Hebrews. So if we're going to look at this, we have to start in Hebrews 2, verse 18. So if you're not there yet, turn to Hebrews 2, 18. And this one is worth underlying, underlining. For because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus lived through everything we've been through. He really knows. He's really God but he's really human, and he's really been tired. He's really stayed up till midnight, probably not watching Toby Mac. Well, he did watch last night. But last night, watching Toby Mac until midnight didn't make him tired. However, walking like 7 to 10 miles a day with his friends to get everywhere and being covered in dirt and grime uh, did. Everything that we have been through, he's been through. 
Every time that your friend has said something stupid to you that hurts your feelings, he knows what that feels like. He knows what it's like to have a bad friend. Everything we've been through, he has, including temptation. So he can help us in our weaknesses. And because of that, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because God has given us comfort, we can give comfort to others. Because Jesus understands what we've been through. He doesn't have sympathy for us. He doesn't feel sorry for us. He's really lived it. He really knows how it feels to live life on this earth in all its glory and pain. Since he's done that, then we can find grace to help in time of need. Uh, another, I didn't like pick books of Pro- or chapters from Proverbs, but the whole book of Proverbs has tons of like friendship advice. And they're proverbs, they're little nuggets. So you can kind of pull them out of context, unlike the rest of scripture, and it's still really helpful. Uh, So if you want to have a soft and tender heart and humble mind, something you can do is read proverbs. And there are 31 of them. So I know a couple of people who, like whatever day of the month it is, that's the proverb they read. And then like if you skip a couple days, no big deal. You just go to that day of the month. So today's the 12th. They would read Proverbs 12. And, you know, the first 28 chapters, you're going to read an extra time because of February. And chapter 31, you're only going to read every other month, but that's okay. I know a lot of people who do that, and they do feel like it gives them a lot of wisdom. And there are lots of individual verses in there about being a good friend. So that's another really, really good one. It's just that whole book. Can't really narrow it down. Adult leaders, I want to make sure you know this. I was asked to talk about developing empathy, and it's something I care about, and I said yes. Your synapses, teenagers, aren't done connecting. They're not done forming and growing. And I can talk about developing empathy all day long, but I can't make your synapses connect earlier than your body's going to do that on its own in your brain. Like, that's brain development, and it happens as you age. (laughs) So as empathetic as we can be and as much as we can focus on that, We're not going to do it perfectly, and that's going to get better as you age. Like, kind of towards the end of college time is when those connect better, and you can connect thoughts and how, like, life experiences affect things better. So you can be a good friend now, and you are a good friend, and you can be a good listener, but it's going to be inconsistent because those synapses aren't fully connected, and there's nothing you can do that to develop that early. (laughs) It's just not how it works. So... It can be really frustrating when we fall back, like when we know like, hey, man, in that that opportunity, I was a good friend. And then at the end of the day, you're like lying in bed and thinking about the time that you were a horrible friend. (laughs) But I want to give you some grace and tell you to give yourself some grace on that because it's just not developmentally appropriate in high school to do that perfectly every time. Then again, we're all sinners and saints. So you could be 80 and like, an awesome saint, and you're going to still sin, and you're going to mess up, and it's not okay because it's not a big deal, but Jesus forgives, and it's okay because Jesus works through us and gives us that grace, and chances are, no matter what you say that's stupid, no matter what your response is, like, Jesus can redeem it. Um, Once upon a time, 
I had a teenager come out to me. And my response was to give him a book. <laughs> that's not helpful. <laughs> like, that's not the best thing to say in that situation. Here's this really good book I read on different like, ways to interpret these passages. Um, that was not the most helpful thing I could do. But my response was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say right now. And I really do like this book. So here it is. <laughs> um, you know, like he's not like ruined because I messed up. Because Jesus can redeem all of my mistakes and all of my mess ups, which I appreciate very much. So I just wanted to share that because teenagers, so that you know about us adults who love you. We know you're teenagers, and that's kind of why we love you and think you're cool. But sometimes then when you act like teenagers, it pisses us off a little bit. <laughs> we're like, I thought that you were like the good one. Why did you do this dumb mistake? But uh, Jesus, <laughs> he forgives you and he knows. So I just wanted to put that out there because it's just true. Um, so if you want to have a soft heart, which is essential to a life that is not bereft of love, read the Gospels. Because if you're reading over and over what Jesus did and lived and said, that keeps our hearts soft. So you can pray about that, but also reading the Gospels is going to fill us. And to develop empathy, you have to listen. You have to listen more than talk, which is hard for me. Um, but you need to listen to people who are different than you are and people who have different experiences and even people you disagree with and not try to justify your opinion or behavior or explain in your mind, like, why their experience was different. Um, but to just actually really listen. That's going to help us develop empathy. And I think that's kind of hard in this day and age, which is a phrase that's irritating, but I do. Um, so many of our interactions are not personal. They're online. And so it's really easy to dig in your heels and just agree with yourself more fervently and not listen to people who disagree with you or have a different opinion. But if you can listen to someone who's had a really different experience than you have, you can learn a lot from them and have a more open mind and a bigger picture of the world and reality and have empathy for others. And then really like that Hebrews passage about how Jesus has really lived on earth and experienced everything we have, that gives me so much hope about having empathy and relationships and being a good friend because he really gets it and he really knows and because of that I can. But also 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24 is about communion, that Jesus gave us his body and blood and then like one chapter later, it says, now you are the body of Christ. Not you individually, but you collectively, those of us here in this room. So it's because of what Jesus did and gave for us that we can have the power to be good friends. And when you think about it, empathy killed Jesus. Jesus made a choice to give up and sacrifice for us, but it's out of his love for us. He knows our suffering and he wants something better for us. And he was so empathetic that he gave his life for us. And he gives us that every time we take communion. And that gives us the power to live out uh, what he asks us to and to be good friends. On that note, I am going to pray for you guys because you all can be a good friend to people. And then uh, I, after that, I have an invitation and a request. So let's pray first. Jesus, I pray over the people in this room. Give them full hearts full of your love that overflows out of them into the lives of their friends and helps them to serve others. 
help them to be empathetic and to be good listeners. Help all of us with that challenge. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.